Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. Uh, I'm Simon Sweetman, I'm the host, and I always give a shout out to uh, Tea Leaf Tea, Le Petit Chocolat, and Yeasty Boys for giving us uh, chocolate tea and beer, obviously. Um, this week is a conversation with one of those sponsors. I had a chat with Stu McKinlay of Yeasty Boys. Um, he he dreamed up this this beer brand with a, with a mate nearly a decade ago, and um, and I've known Stu a little bit. Like we've 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 talked mostly online, as is the way these days. But I have met him a couple of times, and uh, he's been based in the UK for the last wee while. So we've talked about maybe doing a Skype catch-up or whatever, um, trying to work out some sort of way to get his story onto the to the podcast. Not because I want to go around and interview every single sponsor and do a giant big ad for them. We, we, we give them the shout-out, um, you know, anyway, but because I thought Stu is an interesting uh, person with an interesting story. And he happened to be in New Zealand briefly uh, recently, so we... We sat. He fit, he managed to fit me into his schedule of going around and talking about beer with people and catching up with so many people and attending beer and 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 he's he's basically a beer advocate, a beer activist. Um, he is a guy who wants to educate people on on beer, and he's quite happy to promote other brands, not just the Yeasty Boys brand. Um, obviously, they send beer to me for the podcast, but when he came to visit, he brought around four different types of um, beer for me to try. None of them were Yeasty Boys. They were just all um, things that he liked and that he supported local um, brews by local brewers that he was behind in some capacity. So we had a big old chat about beer. Uh, we talked a bit about the social responsibility aspect. Um, we talked kind of wide ranging really too. We got into music. Music is a huge part of the Yeasty Boys story. You'll, you'll guess that from the sort of pun that is their name, but every beer is a kind of experience and built from a cultural experience. Usually music is at the start of it. The beers are usually named after a song or an artist or there's some connection. So we talked through a few of those things. And uh, actually we ended up, as I say, quite wide ranging. We got into a bit of uh, political discussion about what's going on in New Zealand at the moment, things like that. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this and uh, and and do check out the Yeasty website, which is always in the notes, and do check out what they're up to because they do great great things, um, artwork, marketing. There's a great story behind their their product, and man, you know, I've got to say, it's uh, some of their beer is some of the best beer I've ever had. So, and I and I I'm not being paid to say that. I'm really not. So, um, yeah, enjoy this chat. This is me and Stu from Yeasty Boys um, talking about beer and whatever else we can. So I, I, I haven't really um, um, planned too much. I just I kind of um, want to get your story, and I guess I know a little bit about it, and I know you a little bit. We we know each other online, like most people do, better than in real life. But yeah. we've we've met a couple of times. I'm trying to think back to my understanding of the history of Yeasty Boys, and um, first of all, I need to. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast. You're the first podcast sponsor I've I've done a podcast with, so I need to say thanks for that. All right, uh, it's our pleasure. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's and, and it's 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 been the pleasure of many people that have sat where you're sitting now that have enjoyed a a drink while we have a chat too. But um, I'm just thinking the the very earliest days of Yeasty Boys, you were a not quite a one-man band, a two-man band, I guess. Yeah. But uh, you gave me some beer, uh, probably getting towards ten years ago, and it was in, um, you know, bottles without labels, kind of thing, like right. sort of prototype, right. I guess, yeah. testers, and they, and they were, and they were really great. I, I, my memory is, 
you won a competition on my blog, maybe Wilco concert tickets, right. something like that, yep. and then you sent me a nice message saying, you know, um, what's your address? I'm going to drop off some beer. And you gave me half a dozen bottles of, as I say, unlabeled um, testers that were really nice. And so I have been interested in the Yeasty Voice story ever since then. So seeing it go from there to winning a couple of awards and then being in shops and then being, I guess, a full-time thing for you, which it wasn't at that point. No. So shall we, we can talk about some other stuff, but shall we get in right there and talk about how you got the idea for Yeasty Boys and how it blossomed? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Is that accurate what I just said? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's yeah. pretty much right. Um, so we started nine years ago, so your yeah. time frames are about, about right. right. Yeah. yeah. And we did um, keg-only beer and seasonal-only beer for the first sort of 18 months or so. So, um, you know, we often bottled off a few little bits off the end just for um, personal yeah, samples yeah, and yeah. to give to the press and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and they were unlabeled because we didn't have any labels at that stage. In fact, every beer we put out at that stage just had the Yeasty Boys logo. No, yeah, yeah. There's no individual tap badges yeah. for them or anything. Yeah. And there were like four pubs in the entire country you could sell to back then as well. So, yeah, you know, yeah. the beer scene's changed a lot during that time. And quickly, right? Yeah. Like exponentially, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I was just at a um, kind of business forum yesterday um, run by ANZ about sort of how much the beer scene has changed. Mm. Um, you know, mm. Really interesting. It's grown sort of, you know, 25% year on year average, yeah. which is really big for... You know, an industry that's in decline, really. You know, yeah. craft beer scene has really grown, and you yeah. see it phenomenally in Wellington, especially. You know, where it's become normal for every single restaurant to have, you know, decent yes. beer selection. Yeah. You know, sort of people would almost walk out if you can't get the, themselves a Panhead or an Emerson's or a Garage Project. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is nice. You know, like um, you know, that's that that was always the ultimate goal for for me, and I think a lot of people around me is that we could get, you know good beer wherever we go and that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. some little artisanal producer in Arrow Valley it could be um, you know good beer from the likes of Lion Nathan or something yeah, yeah, yeah. I think still make a lot of really really good interesting beer well okay well actually let's go let's go slightly back before the start of Yeasty Boys to to your interest in beer yeah like that obviously is something that exists prior to deciding yeah you're not just some person who and I guess in some way you are but you're not just someone who has a bit of a flirt with home brewing and then goes oh actually this is cool I want to get into this and take this a bit more seriously what 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 was it about beer and what was your experience around as you say good beer that that got you to wanting to get involved with making it yeah I was. I guess it's in my veins. I always say it's in my veins because my parents came from Edinburgh, and when they left Edinburgh, Edinburgh was one of the great brewing cities of the world. And yeah, was totally decimated by you know massive buyouts in the sort of sixties, um, which happened sort of right across the world. It happened earlier in New Zealand, um, around sort of the thirties, I think, in New Zealand. But um, it was yeah, it was just in my blood. You know, beer was always around us. Uh, you know, just food and drink was always around us. My parents were um, very social, so we yeah. had a lot of people around. There were always parties, lots of music. There was singing and dancing, and you know, it was kind of real, a real kind of um, uh, Scottish, you know, type yeah, household. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I think before I went to school, I didn't really hear many Kiwi accents. It was all all my friends' parents were Scottish, English, Irish, and Welsh. You know, it was uh, we lived out in Porirua and. That was in the days where a lot of you know the ten pound poms had come across, and yeah, yeah. Um, so they all moved into the council housing out there and everything, and um, so there were lots of parties and 
always lots of flagons and things like that you know so yeah. beer was always around and I would always you know have a little sip at the yeah. end you know from a very young age and then in my teens uh, my dad did a bit of home brewing in my teens and there was the sort of the first little wave of kind of like what I would call craft brewing or we might have called it boutique brewing or micro yeah. brewing back there or something yeah. uh, and we lived quite close to the Parrot and Jigger out in the hut which oh, yeah, was yeah. Um, yeah. kind of one of the f- earliest sort of breweries I remember there was also one there called Strongcroft uh, which was always on tap at the old bodega for many yeah. years as well. Uh, and so we always had either my dad's home brew or a local brewery's beer around, and I kind of like, you know, I enjoyed the flavour. Bitterness was always something that I kind of quite got into. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as time evolved, I kind of got, I went through university not knowing what I was going to do, like a lot of people do, I think, and I still really don't know what I'm going to do. But uh, then we... Um, I sort of I went through this period of thinking I wanted to become a chef because I was really into food and I yeah. enjoyed making food for others and having dinner parties and things like that and over a period of time where I started telling everyone I was going to leave my office job and become a chef I kind of realised that I like being part of the party as well and you can't really do both you know because yeah, if you're yeah, in the yeah. kitchen that's you for the night yeah yeah and then you everyone have, else is having fun yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're lucky you're looking out the window in the kitchen and seeing people have fun you join a few of them for a night camp yeah. best right yeah, yeah yeah so I quickly decided that wasn't going to be the one for me so I started to think about what I could do to maybe leave an office job and get into something um, other than that and I kind of went through various ideas around food you know options um, and then beer just sort of kept coming back and it was an accidental kind of moment I guess in many respects we um my partner and I at the time moved up to the Coromandel to live. Yeah. Um, Julie McDonald, you yeah. know her? Yeah. Yes. Um, she was a criminal lawyer. Um, so I met her when I was um, seven. Yeah, yeah. Or I think yeah, seven yeah. or eight years old. I went, went through primary school with her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the yeah. first time I ever yeah. saw you was in a yes. pub in Hawke's well, Bay drumming for a Oh, band. really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I was going to um, say, I remember meeting you in the fishbowl. Yeah, yeah. well, that would have been probably a year later or something. Right. But there was a pub that you drummed in and... Uh, a band Lennox Love I think mm, was in the mm, band as mm, well and mm. yeah I remembered like chatting with you guys afterwards you came over and chatted to Julie at the pub um, wow yeah I okay. can't remember the name of it yeah, and have yeah. North you actually had real drums too not pots uh, and pans yeah, yeah yeah so that would have possibly been um, must have been <coughs> about 95 or yeah 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 it would have been yeah right at the start of university we had this covers band called Sofa which, that was it? which yeah, yeah. and that would have been probably one of the earlier um, gigs gigs for that band yeah we ended up playing um, you know around student pubs in Wellington for a few years and, and, and we had a ready made audience just all our friends people yeah, of yeah. age that were at uni so we were quite a good we were a terrible band but a good sell to a pub because we brought an audience and, crowd, and yeah. played covers which at the time was particularly fine playing Pearl Jam and Crowded House yeah, and yeah. <laughs> stuff like Oasis stuff like that yeah yeah. wow okay that yeah, was yeah. like us with beer you know we bought a ready made audience as well because we um, you know when we started the first year of selling beer I think I knew every single person mm. who bought our beer because mm, mm. it evolved from uh, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself there but it essentially that's right we could go we'll, we'll go all over the place yeah, right? yeah. it evolved from uh, you know me kind of trying to work out who my friends and who my customers were yeah, yeah, as yeah. a home brewer people used to always yeah. come around with their empty two litre bottles to yeah. fill them up Yeah, and some people didn't stay for much longer than filling up their bottle <laughs> so we, yeah we moved to the Coromandel yeah, and yeah. there was I'm glad you brought that up though because I was going to say I do remember meeting you I don't, I don't quite recall the Hawke's Bay thing but you're, you're, you're obviously dead right I know we played yeah. there but I do remember meeting you a couple of times with Julie and, um, and, and I think you Reminded me of that connection when 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 Yeasty Boys sort of got going and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah, so moved up to the Coromandel, and yeah. uh, at that stage there was a reasonable amount of beer available in Wellington, you know, relative for the times. You know, you could get Emerson's, the bookbinder had already kind of become an epiphany beer for me at that stage, and, uh, you know, there was a few other things like Gisborne Gold around and stuff. And then yeah. we moved up to uh, just outside Thames, and there was just nothing there at all. You know, like right. the supermarkets had only the mainstream beers and 12 yeah. packs and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they had bottles of loaded hog beer. That was <laughs> yeah, kind of right. like all you could get. And so I'd done this little bit of homebrewing with my dad and I thought, well, I'll give it a go. I'll start doing a bit of homebrewing and see if I can make something better than what I can buy in the supermarket. And uh, I couldn't, of course. The beer was terrible. Like most people, especially around then, there was nothing to... There were there were books from the 1960s and things. It was yeah, really yeah, hard to find was, any good information about yeah. homebrewing. This is you know going on close to 20 years ago. Yeah. Um you know, at least 18 years ago uh, and my dial-up modem you know meant that I couldn't actually yeah, I see pictures say, even internet wise there's, yeah. there's not enough going I can only read text I couldn't yeah. actually see pictures of how to build things and that kind of thing yeah. so you know you're trying to work out how to build a manifold with you know just text to go by and yeah, yeah it was really really pretty tricky to, to brew but I sort of persevered with it and um, and I got better and better most importantly I learnt a lot about fermentation during that time because um, you know that was all I could sort of that was the only thing I could play with. I was using malt extract and a little bit of hot pellets to um, like dry hot beer, but I wasn't really brewing, you know, the full process. So I got to learn that fermentation was really important for getting like a nice clean beer and getting, you know, the characteristics you want out of a beer and, and also using the best of the ingredients you can to yeah. do what you can. So it strikes me that with brewing that the that Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours thing is a is a that's a classic example. Oh, right. yeah, probably put in twice that and more to feel like you're getting anywhere but that it's just that classic example of perseverance of yeah. time time spent learning on the job teaching yourself obviously there are now loads of other resources but what you're talking about is just putting in those hours right like yeah. just, just experimenting yeah yeah, yeah. playing with flavour I guess was yeah. the key thing and because yeah. I was also interested in you know cooking and everything as well and we had yeah. lots of free time in our hands living up there we had virtually no friends so you know we were um all of our free time was spent kind of just pandering to our own interests, yeah, you know? yeah. and a lot of that was spent sort of making interesting food and yeah, know, and having visitors. Lots of people came and visited, you know, stay up there for a weekend or something like that. So, yeah, um, so that we're always you having can, little yeah, create and, your little party. And, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's the next leap from there? So we moved back to Wellington, and I sort of just continued along on my day job and everything, and then it was actually um, probably about five or so years later that. I had, I'd, the, the home brewing waned a bit because I came back here and there was a good availability again of you yeah. know, a few breweries yeah that you were, didn't have to you had you yeah. had nice flavours that you could go and yeah. and you want to check those yeah, out yeah. too to, yeah. to influence what you and you're reconnecting doing. with old friends and stuff yeah. you know coming back to Wellington of course um, and making new ones and everything so my social life became a lot more busy so I ended up buying beer rather than making yeah. it and then I sort of got to this point again where I just thought I don't want to work in an office for the rest of my life I really you know that was the thing I wanted to avoid I didn't really want to be an entrepreneur or anything you know I could have been happy going to work for someone else yeah but um just not the boring mostly yeah I just punching. wanted to sort of beer became something of interest and I thought that maybe I'd want to you know either start a little brew pub or something or go and work for a brewery or something like that so I got back into the home brewing again and this time I started with like the all grain you know actually like brewing exactly pretty much how you do in a in a commercial brewery and um, I started doing it with a friend and we brewed you know fairly regularly um, on our back deck and then um, 
around in Karaka Bay and then I just noticed that all my friends and family were turning up all the time as I say earlier with <laughs> two litre bottles that they, yeah. they'd gone to regionals filled up with bookbinder or something and then when that was empty they'd come down and visit me and yeah. fill up their bottle there and sometimes they would stay and hang around for an afternoon or an evening but sometimes yeah. they would just turn up and basically fill their bottle and go Yeah. so I knew that my beer was getting reasonably good Yeah. and I'd kind of fallen in with the industry then at that stage which was really small handful of people really who knew each other and I was helping out run the New Zealand Beer Awards and things like that. I was just really interested in kind of growing the beer scene and getting people to know more about beer. I was just yeah. a bit of a beer evangelist or <laughs> something like that, um, which I kind of still am. You know, like I'm really interested in growing, you know, the entire beer scene. And, yeah. uh, you know, bought you four beers. None of them are ours. It's, um, it's all Well, about. you've given me enough of, yeah. of your beer yeah. over the last yeah, you know what they year, taste like. you know, year or so. So I do know what they taste like and I enjoy them. And I and I have my favourites. But one, one thing that I've noticed with, with you, with watching your sort of your brand and how you operate online is I really like that. And I, I don't know if other people are, are like this, but I like how you're not just interested in pushing your own product. You are interested in beer so yeah. obviously you you know it's like um and you're treating beer like i guess like a person would treat food you don't eat steak every night yeah you don't eat steak the same way you don't yeah. you know you don't go to the same restaurant every single time you you pick and choose and you have favorites and you have things that suit different moods and you're sort of very much like that with beer and you'll talk up i guess uh, rivals or you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. and I'm sure yeah. there's a friendly rivalry with a lot you know there's a lot you're all in it together and doing the same thing particularly with, with the smaller brewers and the people that start off small you you understand the kind of the struggle yeah yeah so there's that but I, yeah I like the way that you've always sort of talked up other people's product yeah yeah we as part, um, just as part of a, an ex, a beer experience I guess yeah we always sort of like to say we collaborate in the morning and compete in the afternoon <laughs> right or, or it could be vice versa because yeah. you know, in the afternoon we might end up at the pub and we yeah. chat through some uh, you know some things that are going on in the business and everything yeah but I always I've always likened the beer scene to the music scene and um, I love that kind of term that they used for like the early Britpop days or the shoegaze kind of London scene where yeah. they called it the scene that celebrates itself yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of that going on in the beer scene as well. And yeah. um, I think we're kind of coming through that now because it's become a lot more business oriented and people are more professional about the way they go about things. But there was for a very long time this kind of like, you know, little bit of a backslapping club. Of you know, we were really happy about what we we're doing and creating interesting beers and changing the way people in New Zealand think about beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now there's the sort of the new wave of people who are getting into it because they see that there's a commercial gain to be made of it. But, yes. But the original ones and the beers that I've bought all today are all people who just first and foremost fell in love with beer and then um, secondly kind of started a business around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's that's uh, something that I well, we've talked about it a bit already, but that's something that I knew about you and how Eastie Boys sort of evolved was it was. I guess a passion project is the is, yeah. is really the word, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 the accidental yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm exactly. still a really poor businessman, you know. Like I shouldn't be <laughs> tweeting about uh, everyone else's beer and Instagramming photos of you know a garage project beer as I'm catching the train up to um, Carterton or something like that. You know, well, I, I, should be I, I pushing my own product, but it's, no, I think it's that's not what great. I'm about. Yeah. No, because people people get to know that they get to understand that that and I mean you've you've had other roles outside of just being creative director or whatever your title is at, at Yeasty Boys you've, you've as, you, as you've said you've had other roles in the industry but uh, in terms of your personal brand and the Yeasty brand 
people surely will be seeing that you're not just trying to push a product, your product. You're yeah. trying to, you know, support an experience. You're yeah. trying to, you know, it's a lifestyle thing. It's a, an area of interest. It's a passion, and it and it extends beyond just what you're doing. Yeah. Imagine being in a band and only going to watch your own band play all the time. That's sort of well, how I liken it it's, as well. It's, it's always a worry when musicians talk about um, their, you know, apart from when they have to talk about their album. Yeah. It's, you know, they, sh- they shouldn't, they shouldn't, and, and, and or if they have to go and learn a tune, they shouldn't be listening to their own music. And yeah. it's amazing. You can, you can just about always tell. When people talk about favourite songs that they have on albums that they've done and stuff like that unless they've been prompted and that is you know some dumb journalist has asked them that dumb question you can kind of generally tell they're not very good because they should be listening to anything else you know but their own shit and if they're only listening to their own shit like they're in their weird little own bubble and that you know and then they wonder why they aren't perceived as being better than they are yeah. well it's just madness yeah, so yeah. yeah it's completely it completely extends and, and it's interesting like I was going to say you I'm glad you brought up a couple of music examples and analogies because that's the other thing I remember from sort of 19 years ago was that I mean obviously Yeastie Boys is a is a pun but m- music was quite an important um, part of the early beers they were named after yeah yeah they all are still yeah 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 yeah. um pretty much everything has a um has a musical reference to it that's right yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and now that's um due to what simply you like music just yeah yeah, just part of the time that i get the chance to actually you know sit back and listen so if i'm on planes or trains or uh, in the car, which is quite rare, especially in the UK, it's um, you know music is on, and I'm always listening yeah. to you know stuff every time I can. And I love the uh, you know probably people will hate me for saying it, but I love this sort of whole idea of all of the music I could ever want to listen to is now on my phone. Yeah. You know, for for me, someone who travels all the time, it's you know hugely important. Yeah. Um, oh like, yeah, I mean look, I you know I've got turntables set up and records. I love records. The convenience of I sit at my computer all day, and the convenience of being able to find things. Yeah, it's uh, you know I, I I never fe- I never feel too much of a moral bind because I've received right. a lot of free music over the years anyway, and my job has been to uh, you know to write about music or whatever. So I'm not a paying customer anyway. A lot of the time, I've also supported plenty of musicians in terms of. Or record companies in terms of buying stuff anyway but yeah. like I'm working through that thousand and one albums but yeah. I just decided to start being a nerd and go through it and actually find the things I have not listened to in there Yeah. well Spotify might be evil but for me <laughs> doing that it's fucking great every yeah. single album I haven't ever heard before in that book I can find straight away listen to it and it's making me make a list oh now I want to go and find the actual record of this and, yeah. and have it yeah yeah you can't go wrong with that you know yeah it's it, it's it's changed our it's changed our uh, lives but I think you know you're you're also not the enemy because you're a music fan so yeah. you know like there are some people that have all the music they ever need on their phone but they never bought music anyway and were never that interested in it yeah yeah that's also fine but that's where it can get a bit more dubious for you know, musicians and purists and stuff, they can point the finger at that sort of person and say, oh, you're just a tourist. Yeah. I don't think that matters, but... Yeah. I don't know what the real kind of 
statistics around it are or anything, but I feel like there's been a massive revival of live music since yeah. this has happened, you know, because bands now kind of realise they have to tour to yeah, you know, make think, some money and they sell merch and they sell records at the, you know, gigs and stuff like that. And I've, I've been going to a lot of gigs in London. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, relative to what we were, I'd go every night if I possibly could. Yeah. But, you know, with three kids and a business, you can't. You see some pretty cool stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been lucky enough to sort of probably see, you know, five or six of my top ten bands of all time. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. And all amazing shows as well, you know. Like, people have just... I saw The Cure recently for the first time and there's a lot of trepidation when you've been a fan of a band for 30 years or yeah. something to go and you know see them play and they were just unbelievably good yeah, you know? yeah. like, like, even though I've read so much about how good they still are they were better than I thought they could have I've been. never seen them and the two times that they have played in New Zealand in the last decade when it's been possible that and this is such a first world problem but uh, I've been out of the country both times, yeah. so it's just not been a possibility. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've. If you I've, do get the chance, it's, oh, it's wish, well worth it. Yeah. yeah, they were here last year, and I mean, I, I went to America and saw Peter Gabriel, so I can't really yeah can't complain. complain. <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, they are a band I would have loved to have seen and would still like to see. Yeah, I mean, at yeah. the end of that show, the last track they played was "Killing an Arab," and yeah. uh, Fritha, my wife, said to me at the end of the show, she was like, "That's the best three minutes of my life right there. Like, it was that good." Yeah. It was, you know, like the perfect end to an amazing show. It was, you know, two and a half, three yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there was never a point where I just thought, I wish the song would end and you on the start. When yeah, I was yeah. like into it the whole time. Yeah, yeah, you're just there on the journey. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, we got sidetracked there, but I like that. Um, but so you've got, yeah, music is, is, a, is a big part of the company. It's part of the um, product. It's part of the branding. Yeah, there are, yeah. There are these music references. Um it's just a big inspiration, I yeah. think. You know, like as yeah. much as flavour is, you know, and it's not so much flavour from other beers, it's flavour. I get inspired by flavour and wine or um, and food and things that we do, you yeah. know, just all right. And even sometimes just reading something about a restaurant dish or something, you know, think, wow, you know, like I wonder if you could make a beer like that or, yeah. or something that would work really well with that. Uh, and then often it will be, you know, I always have like a hundred recipes or more floating around in my head and some of them will be prominent. I'm thinking about them as I walk down the street where other ones would, I would might have thought about years ago but they've kind of gone back into the recesses of my mind. Yeah. And then one day I'll listen to some music and it will the name will just stick with an yeah. recipe idea and then yeah, sometimes yeah. I'll think that would be a good idea for the future and other times I think I have to do this right now. You know, like this is, it's really important that we... What's an example of now? when that's really all worked um, and been a success? Probably um, Gunna Matter, which is our biggest selling beer, yeah. Earl Grey IPA. Um, yeah. We and a polarizing beer, I would have thought yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, a few like, of our beers are really polarizing. That yeah, one is which, polarizing with far more of a lean to the positive. Yes, you know, without a doubt. Sure, but certainly it's a. But when it's you a, look at beer rating websites, it's five stars or one. Generally, yeah, 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 exactly. I was going to say yeah. that is a real love it or hate it beer, right? Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, it's a quite an extraordinary experience. Yeah, like it's something very. It's like um, I would I would liken it to uh, you know those like uh, chili chocolate and stuff like that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just a, a taste experience yeah, yeah. that you are or either salted. straight yeah, yeah yeah straight away on board with or just god no yeah yeah yeah. Okay, so so with that one, yeah. uh, we got invited to this Australian beer festival, um, the Great Australasian Beer Spectacular. It was called then, <laughs> but that's a bit of a bit of a tongue twister. So yeah. it's just called Gabs now. <laughs> it's been going for five years, and so two thousand and late two thousand and eleven, we got invited to this thing, and it was going to be in May two thousand and twelve, and 
I thought I really wanted an Australian one. We had uh, the sort of stipulation was that every brewery that came was 80, I think, for the first uh, first one. Every brewery that came had to make a special beer for it. It wasn't going to be able to be available anywhere else beforehand, which I thought was just a great idea for a festival. Um, so we, I started thinking of the first thing I did is I listened to lots and lots of Australian music because I thought I really want to make an Australian themed yeah. beer for this, you know. Yeah. So I listened to heaps, you know, non-stop, probably for a month or so. All I listened to was Australian music. And um, one stage, um, Paul Kelly's Ways and Means, I popped that on, and the very first track is Gunna Matter, and it's like a, you know, instrumental surf rock. And I just instantly I was transported to Tora, yeah. back in my probably late teens or early 20s out on the Wairapa coast, um, you know, going out there and trying to surf with my friends, <laughs> but being really, really poor surfers, but being really good at building fires and drinking billy tea and um, you know eating sausages on the beachside and yeah. you know, camping in tents and just having a bit of a good time yeah uh, and then I thought tea beer like instantly as well I'd grown up drinking tea all my life and I quite like coffee and I have a coffee you know maybe once a week or something like that but um, I drink two or three cups of tea a day or more sometimes uh, so tea's always been a big feature in my life and at that stage, five years ago, everyone in the world was producing a coffee beer. You know, yeah, it was like yeah, a big yeah, thing. yeah. Brown ales or stouts or anything, and people had just started getting into making kind of coffee um, pale ales and things like that as well. And I just thought it was a bit of a. Lots of things we do is a little bit of a backlash against what everyone. Yeah, else is yeah, doing. reaction. Uh, yeah, an inverse, an yeah, opposite. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, um, so I played around with the idea of what I would do with a tea beer in my mind, and then I called up the guys from Tea Leaf Tea. Um, yeah. who have a warehouse out in Petonia who are sponsors of the podcast as yeah, well yeah that's a and nice little uh, isn't that yeah. Yeah, I didn't even um, plan that that was going to come up but what yeah. a nice little shout out yeah yeah, and they um, they thought I was completely mad and yeah. thought it wasn't going to work <laughs> but they said come out anyway and we'll do a little cupping so I went out there and they prepared like I told them what I wanted to do and I gave them the idea of you know what sort of tea I thought I could use yeah. and I went out there and they put out 10 different teas and tisans so you know like the non-black tea, the herbal teas, they called tisans, which I learnt that day. I just mm. would always called it herbal tea or herbal tea. If yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we went through them, and about the fourth tea that we tried was this Earl Grey Blue Flower. And before I even got it sort of off the desk, I knew I could smell it, and smell I just realised yeah. that this is the tea that's going to go in the beer. Yeah, and it was different from what I expected. I'd been thinking of doing something with a kind of a real deep, dark kind of North Indian tea. Yeah, um, yeah. that would be kind of like a light sort of leafy aroma but f almost a classic kind of like old school old world hop flavor which yeah. is kind of like um yeah very kind of leafy and slightly herbal um uh and just ended up with this this one that actually smelt like hops almost you know like it was quite floral but um but it had that sort of deep orangey character that you get in a lot of hops yeah. obviously from the um in the earl grey they use bergamot uh, which is like a you know um, orange oil essentially what yeah. they're using in there and uh, it was just like perfect instant perfect moment you know so the idea the genesis had come from yes. the music yeah. um, but it was still quite a broad approach at that stage mm -hmm. and, then it, and then it sort of narrowed its way down over a period of a couple of months so I ended up doing a little trial batch of 20 litres and then I split that across like 10 bottles 2 litres each and I used all the 10 teas just to make sure that I was kind of right in my thinking yeah um, but it was all the way through it was kind of like just totally right and as yeah. soon as I opened all those 10 bottles and drank them on that 
that day it was like this is it we're making it next week yeah let's order 10 kilos of tea and yeah <laughs> the rest is history they thought it was going to be a one-off kind of order and now i think we're there we're not their biggest customer all up but we're the biggest customer of um earl grey for sure yeah yeah right and now in the uk we're buying like 200 kilos at a time to use in um and i mean maybe yeah well maybe we'll jump off and explore this because i was uh, i was going to say is the success of that beer a big part of like the the move to england and the yeah like, do you want to talk about that like, yeah yeah cause, definitely because uh, uh, you know to me it just seemed oh here's a no-brainer like what what are two things that people associate with with england yeah, you know, beer and many tea. things, but tea and beer, and passionate tea drinkers and passionate beer drinkers. Yeah, and, and is that is it literally that has it found that home there? Yeah, it's not quite as simple as that, but it's um we were getting a lot of demand around the world for our beer, and especially I think after that beer came out, it yeah. kind of got a bit of a. There had been maybe a couple of tea beers before that, but none. I think that probably kept yeah. people's imagination quite yeah. like that. So we yeah. started getting a, a huge amount of demand from overseas for. Our beer and we were already exporting probably about 50% of our product yeah. at that stage um, I think we've got up as high as sort of 60-65% of our beer going outside New Zealand um, and that's coming back now to more of what we produce in New Zealand is being sold here but um, we were get, we'd exported enough at that stage to realise that there's this kind of um, there's this pattern that you see in export for a small producer in New Zealand I think where people get very excited and they want your beer and you send quite a bit of it in the first year or 18 months and then it kind of wanes off because mostly people who want to import your beer into their country are in beer scenes that are kind of there's nothing going on there so they just want anything they can get their hands on yeah they want to kickstart they want to jolt and then local scenes develop and um so we've seen it in hong kong where we we still send quite a bit of beer to hong kong but the first time i visited there there were four breweries and then a year later there were 18 and and nine kind of being built at that time and there's probably like 30 or 40 now um, so you know local beer scenes develop and unless you're really ingrained there and you're hitting a really good price point you're not going to have any sustainability to your business yeah yeah so we yeah. Um, so we the idea of kind of like that these people in Britain kept approaching us and it was about three years of them approaching us before finally it clicked that maybe we should go and make the beer there because we knew that if we sent beer there it would be a novelty value only you know, the beer yeah. would cost five pounds a bottle on the shelf and people are not going to buy that for very long before yeah, they realise yeah. that you know, they can get the local version for two pounds. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we sort of spent like a year. We went over there for a couple of visits and visited some breweries and talked to people via emails and kind of like, you know, worked out how we are going to go about it. And yeah. it sort of you know, slowly built up to the point that we um, decided to, yeah, raise some capital and go and do it. And originally we were going to go and move there for six months, get things up and running, and then I was going to kind of go backwards yeah. and forwards a couple yeah. of times a year, but base myself out in New Zealand. And we realised realized really quickly that for the business to be a success, we had to be there as well. And it can't be all bad. Like you said, the gigs are pretty great. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, uh, they're obviously, <coughs> you're obviously pretty happy over there. Yeah, I love it's, it. It's, it's worked out it's, pretty well. It's just a great kind of culture to live in. It's a very social yeah. you know, culture. And people meet at the pub a lot, you know, rather than in their and own And the family's homes. happy over there? Family's happy, yeah. yeah the yeah. kids are in some pretty good schools. And we live like 25 minutes from London, but we have the biggest house we've ever had, the biggest backyard. It's wow. like a five-minute yeah. walk to the kids' school. And, yeah. Um, oh, man. It doesn't yeah, sound yeah. like that's worth giving up no, anytime no, soon. No, And I, the weather's better as well. You yeah. know, like everyone says the English weather's yeah. poor, but where we live in Kent, it's, um, it's certainly better than Wellington. Right, um, yeah, yeah, better than what you're... 
your other experience. Yeah, yeah, experience. yeah. But I'm not really, you know. Do you miss taste. Wellington though? Like, are you attached to Wellington culturally in a way? Like, do you, I, I am a bit. Um, you like, you know, do you miss it? I imagine you come here for a fleeting visit, and yeah. you go, oh man, I really, you know. I miss friends, and what I find really hard when I come back here is I always have so little free time that I don't yeah. get to catch up with friends very much. Yeah, yeah. And even right. more so on this trip, you know, I've brought my family back, so I'm spending a lot more time with family than I normally would. Yeah, it's a working holiday yeah. at best. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. come back every six months, so it's um, it's it doesn't feel like I'm away that much. You know, yeah. it feels like I'm just leaving here, and then all of a sudden I'm preparing to come back. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah okay. But I don't. I'm very forward-looking. Like I don't really look back that much um mostly i kind of look back with a little bit of fondness you know some happy nostalgia but yeah i never look back and think have i made the right decision or anything i'm always kind of very much a forward looking yeah. person yeah um so you know all i see now is this sort of future of what we're doing in the uk and yeah and the yeah. fact that my kids now you know they're developing these friendships that i imagine will be really important for them in the next sort of decade or so because they're the oldest one's about to start secondary school and the younger ones wow. are not far away from there so, um, so start secondary have, school I remember you had uh, did you have like three boys under five three under three three under three yeah <laughs> so yeah which well, is not recommended no <laughs> don't start a business and have three kids under three what? in the same kind of Okay. Oh, just as you said, you don't look back. Let's look back. Um, I, because I was going to say, let, let's let's go back to, um, f- for the sake of this narrative too. We 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 springboarded off, but we were going to talk about, I guess, sort of next steps with Yeastie Boys, and it, it did occur to me that yeah, you kind of started the business as a, I guess, uh, what a stay-at-home dad with a bunch of kids three kids under three yeah 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 which is just seems mental yeah yeah well i wasn't even a stay-at-home dad so much but i worked well, you um, were you were working and setting up a this yeah, business yeah. on the side yeah. of working right yeah, yeah yeah so what i did is when we first had kids i dropped to three days a week um, right and fritha my partner she um she didn't um work either so we were yeah. on a pretty low income at that stage yeah luckily i was earning not a bad um hourly rate as a contractor um but it was still you know we, yeah. we were going backwards yeah, you t- but yeah, with the idea yeah. that we wanted to spend some time together as a family because at that stage we kind of knew the beer thing was going to take off and we knew that we'd have no money and no time together you know yeah. as we were kind of going to grow start a business and grow it so we wanted to spend all the time we could so you know any we didn't have to wait for Saturday and Sunday and hope that it was a nice day to go for a walk around the bays we could do it on a Thursday if we wanted or something yeah. and then I could work on a Saturday if the weather wasn't great or um, so I started to build first a business plan around starting a bar that was essentially probably what Hashigozaki became, which was right. like a sort of ultimate place for people to go as a meeting um, point as beer for people who were really yeah. into really, really, really you know interesting and good beer. Um, with the idea that we'd start that and then hopefully build a bit of a brand to bring in some investment and start a brew pub or something, and then it went off on its total own direction with Yeasty Boys, you know, yeah, completely as it does, and you know, and it, and it always will. I think you know we kind of we. We don't plan too far ahead. We're not very good at that. And I've always likened it to sort of holding a hose like a foot back from the end and not controlling it too much and turning it on and turning yeah. it on a bit more and seeing where it goes rather <laughs> yeah. than sort yeah. of directing it in the right direction all the time. Yeah. Um, I like that ability for us to sort of change our path yeah. fairly quickly. And we're looking like we're going to do that again in the next year or two as well from you know what we originally went to the UK wanting to do. and. As I say, we went to the UK for six months and within about three weeks had decided we were going to stay, you know, forever. Yeah, yeah. In quotes, yeah. For six years, at yeah. least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what, I mean, you told me about this this 
sort of happy experience with it all coming together flavor wise recipe wise inspiration wise for every one of those there has to at least in the early days have been some spectacular failures that don't get off the don't yeah. get off the drawing board or don't quite make it into the pot or 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 don't you wish they didn't come out of the pot yeah yeah, yeah most of the um most of the failures were kind of like pre easty boys days yeah so like yeah, i learned in so your much. experimentation yeah yeah, yeah yeah i learned so much about it then and um i've probably still got a few friends who kind of like tried some of those early beers and then never wanted to try them again and still wouldn't buy our commercial beers <laughs> they see your product and go yeah. oh i try, try that guy's else. stuff yeah. i think i'll i think i'll stick with pad head <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah, so there's a, there's a little bit of that, and um, I think the other thing is that we probably, um, although we're very conservative business people, we're, we were quite aggressive in the styles of beer we made. So we yeah. do this beer called Rex Attitude, which is a like a Laurent Garnier track, yeah, you know, um, techno track from the a French you know musician from the mid nineties, yeah, uh, and that beer is a hundred um, percent heavily peated, you know. Um, yeah, that's single a, malt golden ale, and it's so it's like Lafroig as a beer or something. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. Very polarizing in the other direction from Gunner Matter in regards to it's like someone walking into a death metal club and thinking, "Fuck, you know, yeah. got to get out of here immediately." Yeah, but yeah. some people want to stay, um, so we get lots of hate mail about that. <laughs> really, yeah, hate yeah. mail. Um, but then you get the occasional love letter as well. Yeah, and yeah. I always like reply to people and say, you know, this little love letter is kind of like. It's, it's made me forget about the hundred hate mails that we got. So you get like quite a lot of people writing to you saying, this is garbage, why are you yeah, doing yeah. this? Uh, what, I want my money back? Or Along those lines, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, wow. um, yeah, I hate you, die in a sea of SARS. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. It, well, it's cool. Uh, it is it, cool. It's, yeah. co- it's, it's cool that somebody else gets that, yeah. <laughs> gets that sort of stuff is all I mean. But I'm amazed to, I, I guess it makes sense that the internet has enabled every kind of idiot you know, and angry, you know, talkback yeah. caller, isn't it? Yeah, well. it is, yeah, As well as enabling a lot of good things. But yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. We used to get a lot of emails about it, and we've actually got one. Um, we had one a photo of me from the paper clipped out uh, with a typed message, yeah, um, telling me what a poor um, representation of New Zealand craft beer I was. Right. Um, which was then stuffed in an envelope uh, without a stamp yeah. and like without an address or anything but shoved into my business partner's um, letterbox yeah yeah which is quite disconcerting when you think someone's yeah. like hanging around outside your house with those kind of feelings yeah, yeah, yeah. luckily it wasn't my house it was uh, Sam's house <laughs> yeah 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 you're okay yeah, yeah. but um yeah. you know quite often you sort of at the early days I kind of thought this is a friend just taking a taking a piss because they often make up fake email, email address or you know like a one off email yeah, address yeah, like yeah, not yeah. a fan of your beer at gmail.com yeah 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 which I'm sure that they made up just for us, not for to not, send to hate not to send everyone. to everyone that yeah. they're pissed off with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we get less and less emails now than we used to because now there's like so many beer rating websites and things. Yeah, that people yeah. Just people just go on and vent themselves their there. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Facebook pages and, and Instagram. You know, you yeah. get quite a lot of stuff on Instagram. People take a photo of your beer and say that we're taking the piss or something. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that's about every kind of beer, you know, it's not yeah, just yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. the polarizing ones, it's also the ones that we just think is a normal pale ale, you know, people for some reason I think there's a little bit of extra hate we get from people because they don't like the name or something, they think it's a bit, you know, a bit novelty or something. or something. Yeah, so they yeah, think yeah. that we're not serious about the beer, we're just some kind of marketing company yeah. who's decided to like put out a beer. Yeah, yeah. When when you're quite the opposite of that. Yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. Funny. Oh wow, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, I you know I sort of 
wouldn't have thought that you'd directly get I, I, I don't know why but I just wouldn't have thought that you'd directly get actual hate mail I could yeah. see people putting things on beer rating websites particularly with the polarising beers I could see everyone gets a few angry comments on a fa- like a corporate or whatever Facebook page people yeah. go and rant on that but it's amazing yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite good. I've got like a few of my friends from like Soren from Eight Wide. He's yeah. He got a hate mail, uh, maybe a year or so ago, and he sort of yeah. he sent me a message and said like I've finally made it. I've made, I'm in the yeah. club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But his hate mail was so tame compared to yeah, the stuff yeah, we get. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah. this isn't really hate mail. I think you know we need to sort of up the up the level here. I know. I, I, I've always watched like. I see people on Facebook say, oh, you know, I, I wrote this article and then someone said this, you know, about it to me. And I'm kind of like, man, you know, I, I reviewed a hip hop concert and some guy wrote me a message saying he was going to burn my house down. Like, yeah. you know, you need to up your game. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we probably don't get as uh, as much as you, I imagine. But we're uh, mine's, got, mine's gone now. Yeah. My, my, I, never, I never was looking to get hate mail but it's all pretty much gone now yeah uh, well you know the odd thing pops up you yeah. know the odd thing pops up now but um, I think people don't really care which is good they shouldn't yeah I'm amazed and I guess it's exactly the same with the beer thing I am I'll always say this I'm constantly amazed that, and I guess it's that that immediacy thing of the internet um that ability, that enabling ability to just dash something out. I'm amazed that people Especially bother. Especially when you've had ten beers, yeah. Yeah, I, but I'm just amazed that people bother. Like I've still got somewhere. I've still got uh, a handwritten letter that was posted to Avalon when I was on the Good Morning TV show, and a woman from Tracy from Rotorua, and I, you know, I'd scan, I've scanned it and put it on. You know, crossed out her phone number and address and stuff. People friends of mine always wanted to give her a call because it had her phone number on there but she did this giant rant about how you know I had no right to criticise Freddie Mercury which which I don't think I really did I, I seem to recall I reviewed a Queen tribute album and said I've never been the biggest fan of Queen but some of these versions uh, made me realise that they wrote some pretty good songs Yeah, that was sort of the extent of it, it was, you know it was TV morning TV reviews it was pretty tame and that um, got this woman to write this hate mail about how Freddie Mercury was more talented than me and I had no right to criticise him and I was a big fat ginger pillock and all this sort of stuff you know, riddled with spelling mistakes but the the writing and it's a red pen and it goes uh, you know it's an angry scrawl and angles towards the end it gets more and more and I just keep thinking like every now and then I'll look at that and go over the years I've looked at it and gone you know, at what point did she think, oh, well, I've written that, that makes me feel better. Like, maybe I won't post it. But yep. no, she's stuffed it in an envelope, she's written out the thing, she's gone and bought a stamp, taken it to the... You know, that's a huge effort. Yeah. And so that effort's no longer required now. People can just dash something off. And, yes. and, and maybe, yeah, in your case, I would think, perhaps particularly, they've had a few beers, <laughs> they write their Facebook thing, yep. and they possibly don't even remember doing it, or the next day they're a bit embarrassed, or or they're like, good, I did it, and you guys get the right of reply if you want to, you yeah, can actually yeah. write back and say, yeah, here's, always, here's a free beer, or Yeah, yeah, I always whatever. write back nice comments, even to yeah. like the worst, most scathing hate mail we've ever got, I've always said, look, we make other beers, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry yeah. you didn't like this one, we Thanks love for it. contacting us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, mostly they don't reply, but occasionally we get quite a lot of... Um, you know, replied saying, I'm really sorry. Like, I let my drunk friend to the party that night. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, um, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, 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 I've banished him now. Yeah, he's yeah. put him way back in the uh, back yeah. room again. But yeah. we, um, I actually do an event, uh, I've done it twice in the UK, and I want to take it on a bit of a road show. Uh, it's called Viva Hate, so it's like the, yeah, you know, yeah. the first Morrissey album. Yeah. 
the good um, Morrissey album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The great, the best, yes. better than any of the Smiths. I think it's oh, my, it's, one of my favourite albums of all it's time. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, Viva Hate. I go through the hate mail. So we do a tasting of you know eight of our beers or something, and we take take them through an exploration <laughs> of all the hate mail we've received over wow. the years. And to do that, I actually spent like two full days like doing all the research. So going back yeah. through all our old hate mail and going through like, like all the beer rating websites and everything to find stuff to write about it. And during it, I actually picked up all of these interesting kind of little stats like yeah. how most hate mail comes is sent after 10pm yeah classic so it's wow. after people yeah, have had a few had yeah yeah Dutch uh, carriage yeah. and then there's also this thing of people disliking your beer and writing horrible things about them in packs you notice on beer rating yes. websites there'll yeah. be like four people who've all rated it on the same day and they all say the same thing and they're yeah. all from the same town yeah and they've obviously shared a beer they've got yeah. one bottle of beer in the middle of Norway or something and shared a three thirty mil bottle between ten people, and then all said a horrible thing about it. You know, and they use the same words. Yes. Yeah. One of the things I do through there because I take them through, you know, sort of a bit of a journey, and we I read a lot of really nice stuff that people do, and just funny things that yeah. people do. You know, we engage in a conversation over a period of time with people because yeah. they say something about your beer, you make a comment back to them, and then they like it so you know the next time they send a photo of them with their girlfriend and they're doing they're giving you the bird or something and yeah. it becomes a bit of a fun play and you kind of like really engage nicely with yeah. people Yeah. And, and the big thing that comes out of it for me overall is that I love the fact that people care that passionately about their beer now you know because yeah. they didn't um, 20 years ago or more you know like all of these guys I used to work with in an office when I worked in an office I worked with lots and lots of people who were probably 20 to 30 years older than me and they remembered they all drank wine because they only remembered beer as a thing that came in like a big extendable hose that was yeah. like sprayed across the bar t- into jugs um, yeah. where people were, you know, urinating in a trough <laughs> below the bar back in the 60s or something, you know. Yeah. And now, and then I remember taking these guys to a lunch one day from my work and we all went to like, um, we used to go out for lunch like once a month and we'd all choose different places to go and we took, I took them before there were any kind of real beer bars in Wellington or sort of modern craft beer bars I took them to Leuven to the you yeah, know, Belgian yeah, bar yeah, yeah. and they were drinking like 10% yeah. you know, Belgian beers with their lunch and going my god you know like this is if this I is re- beer I'm coming back I remember yeah. that that place being quite a sort of little revelation for me in yeah. terms of you know y- you know, years ago finding new flavours with beer and yeah, going yeah. you know like I've always quite liked beer but that was kind of a, a big sort of stepping stone for me towards craft beers and, and just finding different flavours yeah and they kind of really did the theatre of it all well you yeah know, like they poured that, it and they scooped off the top well they yeah, cleaned the, the glass ma- really nicely the different glasses the, yeah. they cleaned them the matching coaster that went yeah. with the glass well, that, exactly there was that little pantomime yeah. that was really important yeah. you know as, as, as part of selling selling the experience of the culture of rather than just yeah, filling up the jug yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it goes back to like music. You know, the best shows yeah. you've ever seen might not be the best musical experience, yeah, but it's yeah. the best show. You know, yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's an all-round show. You you want to see the performance, and yeah, we saw the Flaming Lips um, early this year, and it's just you know absolutely spectacular yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His voice is terrible, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's, he's yeah. one of the greatest non-musicians ever, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he can't play, yeah. and you know he fakes playing the guitar. Yeah. His voice is just. But he's um, a conductor, isn't he? He's oh, a conductor he's, of an amazing... He's brilliant. You know, um, I, I only saw that, and, and I'm sure it would be the same for a lot of New Zealanders, but because they've only been here that one time to uh, the Big Day Outs, which was about 2004. Yeah. So I saw that, and that was, that was amazing. I'm sure, I'm sure their show has continued to evolve yeah. and blow people away, but I remember that, that just being a really special like, yeah, yeah. top sort of top ten gig. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, he rode out on a unicorn in that show, and then he came out another time in a big bubble, and yeah. he, um, he he did uh, like um, he covered Bowie's um, whatever it's um, uh, ground control. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, in a yeah, bubble. Space, yeah, space and it's in Brixton yeah, yeah. as well, and you know, yeah, yeah. it's only a few. Uh, I was close to a year after Bowie had died. Yeah, right. So that was kind of wow. you know quite a big emotional experience. Yeah, but the yeah. whole thing, and they did the big balloon drop. It is a real these party poppers and everything. Yeah, it's I, a real. It's like a gr- uh, kids party for grown yeah, yeah. The first thing after the first song was like, I wish yeah. we'd brought the kids here. You know? Yeah, and it's a real. Um, I remember that that big day out thing. I just remember it was one of. There's been a few others. Uh, but I remember that being just like an utterly joyous yeah. sort of feeling you could feel, and that was at, particularly rare in an outdoor thing, I think, yeah, yeah. because you know energy does tend to get captured in closed venues. But in an outdoor thing, it was like just this sort of positive feeling of elation, yeah. circling around the, the the you know few thousand people that were at that stage at that time. It was yeah. very cold. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're totally amazing. I've got this amazing photo of um, afterwards. We were at um, like Brixton Academy. And we were upstairs and looking down on the crowd after most of them had dissipated and there's yeah. um, just all these people in like amazing colourful clothes lying in glitter you know like yeah, exhausted yeah, yeah. from yeah, dancing yeah, so yeah. much yeah they just out. yeah yeah you couldn't see yeah. the floor you could just see bodies and glitter yeah. everywhere yeah, yeah. Uh, they clean up they must pay a massive oh. surcharge and clean <laughs> yeah, up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember um, I interviewed Wayne Coyne at that big day out and, uh, and I didn't know that I was going to be interviewing him I thought I was going to be interviewing one of the other members of the band, yep. and, uh, and I was supposed to do the interview the day before, and then it kept getting post- postponed, and then they just said, oh, just just come, you're coming to the big day out anyway, yeah, just come and we'll text you, and at some point you can come and talk to, you know, Stephen or whatever, the other guy, Michael or whatever. And then um, I got up to the the green room in the, in the stadium and saw that guy from the darkness when they were at their peak, walking around with his shirt off just, he just scowled a stein lager and then just threw it at the wall which yeah. I thought was pretty rock and roll because he'd been on stage at like one o'clock and this was about 6pm so he'd done his thing and he was smashed Yeah. and uh, and then they go oh you're actually going to interview Wayne and I was like fuck you know okay fuck but I had you know because I'd just sort of prepared these generic questions and the first question on the list was what's it like working with Wayne Coyne yeah. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to ask him that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, we, we just sat on these two stools and, and suddenly I, like there were all these people around because I think they thought the interview was going to be filmed or something. Yeah. And so I, it was one of my first sort of face-to-face interviews, so I was pretty freaked out. I don't think I did a particularly good job of it, but he was just so cool, just yeah. so nice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then afterwards we went down in the, um, in the elevator and he, uh, he was going off to get a meal and he's like, do you want to come with us? And I was like, oh... No, you know, because I just thought, you know, extending your welcome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Much, yeah. You're just being nice, and I think this is gonna we're gonna run out of steam. Oh, thanks, but no, I, I better go. And he gave me this big hug, you know. Afterwards, yeah, yeah. just you know, so all I of that, just, stu- so all of that stuff, you you know, that comes across in the show. However much of a show it is, there's a sincerity in his character that that you know is how is built on. Yeah, you know, like he's a, he's. And a sweet nerd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly. And so it, it manifests in this sort of sweet nerd circus yeah. that he puts on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so let's go back to a few more of the sort of key moments for Yeasty Boys when you're in Wellington and when you're building this. So you've got three kids under three. Yeah. You're working a day job. 
your partner's not working, you're part-time, you're trying to build a company, you've got like a lot of people in that situation one way or another with young kids, yeah, you take this financial hit because one of you stops working completely. Yeah. Reduced hours here and there, or your job, or your job share and parent share, and all of that. We, all, you know, lots of us have that in our lives. Um, but you, you've already done all your experimentation, and you know that the the road ahead is hopefully going to be good. Yeah. When does it really make sense to you? When does it? I don't when, know. It still, it doesn't. still doesn't. No, no. Well, okay. So when does it? Yeah. When does it? And I was, uh, when does it? seem viable maybe it still doesn't as well but when, when does it yeah, no, still, you know what I'm trying to ask you, yeah, when, yeah. Do you when do you go this is worth pursuing like this is when, did you, when do you stop going we need to give this up this is a bad dream yeah uh, it was um, it's like there's there's one kind of key moment I think where it sort of all fell into place where I thought oh, I just have to do this this is my yeah. life now uh, we got invited to this big festival and there's a big chain of pubs called Weatherspoon in the UK which yeah. everyone sort of hates um, yeah. but they do this um, amazing thing where they invite brewers from all around the world they've been doing it for about sort of 15 years or something I think they invite brewers in to, to brew with um, local UK breweries and then they sell them in all their pubs so yeah. we got invited over I got this sort of weird email I woke up one morning it come overnight and it was sort of it was written by a woman with like a you know Polish name, and it was not very well worded. It was yeah, some yeah. spelling mistakes and yeah. kind of like strange uh, the transliteration. Going yeah, on. yeah, yeah. And I thought it was I thought it was some sort of fake, you know, yeah, some, yeah, some yeah, Nigerian scam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was basically saying that you know they'd pay me, um, you know, <laughs> pay my flights over and cover my expenses and everything. Yeah. Um, and you know I could come over and brew for them and it would go out through their 900 pubs or something yeah. um, they would love to have me and, and here's some sort of nice words that have been said from other brewers who have done it in the past and it and, wasn't and it, and wasn't, it, wasn't, it was real yeah, it wasn't so it was, from I hate your beer at no no <laughs> yeah. yeah but it was still from a strange yeah, yeah, right. account. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah, something yeah. that was you know it didn't, it, you didn't had to read it legit. a couple of times yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the moment that the coin dropped where I thought we mm. should brew our beer in the UK if we're going to go over and brew one batch you know for this sort of international beer festival yeah. why don't we brew it there all the time because we already brew in someone else's brewery in New Zealand we don't own our own brewery yeah yeah I was going to say that's quite an yeah. interesting point now, which I, th- I guess um, a lot of people that know Yeasty Boys now know that but that yeah. was always an interesting talking point early on was that you guys were in a way essentially chemists scientists yeah, yeah. you know are, uh, you know people who made recipes and and they got sent off to be made at other breweries rather than like down the road from here the big garage project yeah. you know estate or whatever you yeah. want to call it now the, yeah. the mansion that's yeah know, growing yeah yeah yeah. so we um, just thought why don't we why don't we replicate that model in yeah. the UK yeah, yeah. We, can, we can take so it so it all yeah. fell together and uh, that was kind of the moment I said to Sam I, should, I think I need to leave my job if we're going to take this seriously because you know I can, there's no way we can only just run the business at the moment with me doing three days in my day job and two days um, on the two business. Two days slash four days yeah, yeah. on the business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so... Because it must have been filtering over into nights and weekends. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, just yeah. constantly has been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sort of... I'm always around, but never around, you know, at home. With yeah, the kids yeah, and, yeah. And so, um, yeah, we... Um, so we had a bit of a discussion, a bit of a backwards and forwards, and then we sort of just decided to go for it. So... So I finished my job. We actually, Frither and I took a holiday with the kids because we knew we wouldn't have a proper one again for a few years. So yeah. we took a month off. I finished my job in like July um, 
and the thing that made it a little bit easier was that uh, I had gone from a, a quite a long career um, consulting in the health sector, which I really, really loved, and working with clinicians, um, you know, people who were saving people's lives and delivering babies and things like that. Uh, very, very inspiring place to work, and um, I really, really loved the work that I did. Um, I worked in um, sort of health information, and uh, if I say metadata, people would like switch off. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd gone from there. Uh, during a period where it was just really hard to renew contracts and things like that because the government were trying to get rid of consultants yeah. and get full-time people in. But no one in New Zealand did my job. You know, I was the only person who could do it at that stage. So when I left, I guess they probably found someone else who kind of yeah. trained up to do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but it would have been a long road because it had been, you know, I'd been doing it for a dozen years. But I'd gone and worked for Z Energy, um, you know, the petrol yeah. company for yeah. uh, for about eighteen months. And it was really easy to leave that job because I had, although I enjoyed the people I yeah, worked yeah. with and the work was quite interesting, it's just a petrol company. Yeah, yeah. Was, you know, it was like you're just adding to some someone's giant, profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant yeah. corpse yeah. Prof- profit. And yeah. There's not a lot of humanity around that. No, no. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was pretty easy to walk away from that one. Whereas it always would have been hard to walk from the other one because I, you know, mm. I, did, I had a very big emotional attachment to the job yeah, and yeah, to the yeah. people I worked with. Yeah. And I knew so many people in the health sector uh, over the years, right across the country and right across the whole model from, you know, government back office through to, yeah. you know, clinicians at the front end. So, um, yeah, made it really easy to leave. And so I left there. We had a holiday f- for a month in Malaysia where we kind of like totally relaxed. And then we came back into full time with the Eastie Boys in the yeah. August. And then by, so that was always with the plan to raise money to, um, to, to, move. to move to the UK or to start brewing in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, by the January, we did a crowdfunding and we raised, like, half a million dollars yeah, in half yeah, an hour, yeah. which was sort of a bit of a phenomenon at yes, that stage. Yes, yes, I remember that. Sort of six months into crowdfunding and what a, in New Zealand. What a what a what an ultimate validation, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and sure. everything that you've done, yeah. you know what I mean? Because that, that goes back to when you see that stat, when that kicks in, that takes you back to all the things that didn't get off the drawing board yeah, yeah, all the yeah. failed experiments all the, the 10,000 plus hours yeah. yeah yeah I think most importantly like the belief that people had in Sam and I you know, yeah. as, as good people you know? yeah 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 not really I think most of the people invested probably thought um, we don't know if this is a viable business idea but we like these guys and yeah. we like their product and they're trustworthy guys they're not you know like as the people in the comment section of MBR would have said you know yeah um, we're going to go off to the UK and have a jolly, you know, mm. for two years, spending up all these shareholders' money on, you know, yeah, yeah, beer yeah. and uh, food and hookers and drugs yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And it's not like that. Well, at it comes all. back to that, you know, um, bringing me around a bottle of Panhead rather than uh, a, a bottle of your beer. Like it's, you know, all of that sort of stuff and all that talking about different beers for different occasions and supporting different, you know, that's all that's all part of that trust element that you've bought, uh, built up too. Yeah, yeah. People go, this is a person who's, you know, wants to make a living, wants to make money, would, lo- would love to get wealthy off it because who doesn't want to, you know, earn good money doing what they love, yeah. but is actually doing it primarily because they love it, yeah. first and foremost. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and when you love the lifestyle of it like I do, yeah. it makes it a little bit easier to suffer through the not very good pay and the, you know, yeah, 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 the yeah. extraordinary hours that you do and that yeah, yeah, the fact, yeah the fact that you can't put a dollar an hour value yeah. on it you and know. the weight of you know 200 shareholders on you which yes. stress a lot of people out but to yeah. me it's like these guys know it's and trust a, me a fan club in a way yeah like, and they're not they're not you know they're never thinking that we're 
Yeah. You know, they might think we're doing the wrong thing on certain things, and we get quite good feedback from them, but they're mostly quite a passive, you know, bunch yeah, of shareholders. Yeah. You don't sort of yeah. hear from them that much. Yeah. So um, the the background you had in, with working in the health um, sector is interesting. And in that I was going to ask you about. Uh, I feel I feel a slight responsibility to ask you about. You know, some people could hear this as a giant big advert for for beer, which in a way it is. It, it, um, and there's a lot that's great about beer, but obviously beer is alcohol, and alcohol is uh, ruins ruins lives as well as you know what does Homer Simpson say the the uh, the answer to and cause of all of life's problems. You know, it's yeah. it, it, it ruins lives, but it enriches it. We can we can talk about having a nice beer, and and you're making beer that tends to exist for a market that might stop after one or two and then go back and have one or two another night rather than, you know, trying to search for the golden ticket in the bottom of each bottle and staying up all night to do it. But what's your what's your sort of feeling of responsibility around putting a product into the world that can do some damage? Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, you're probably right in the fact that, you know, our beer is too expensive to kind of... Yeah, yeah, it's so a lot of damage in some respects. Um, not not always true. Obviously, no. you know that we don't want to paint a picture. Yeah, 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 we don't want to paint a picture of down and out as no. you know drinking out of the gutter. There's that, but there's also like uh, you know the American psychopath type personality yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's out there that goes to bars and gets hammered and smashes a porky over someone's head. So yeah. there's that too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, I mean I'm I sort of approach it from two two points of view I'm sort of very liberal in many respects and I think you know people need to take care of themselves and their family and their friends and everything as well Uh, and and then I think I'm also very holistic and um, kind of uh, very socialist in many points of views and that I think there should be there's a definite role for the government to play in this and I think they do a pretty good job in New Zealand Uh, it's not it's a hard sort of place to be you know there's a bit of talk last week about um, banning in in the newspapers I think there was some talk about you know banning supermarket sales of yeah, alcohol yeah, yeah, and things yeah. like that um, I think there's a there's a there's a point below there which I'm not quite sure where the solution is but um, there's something in the New Zealand psyche and there's a little bit of it in the UK as well about you know there's a drinking problem that is somehow ingrained in our um, in our entire culture yeah that we need to sort of address in some way, and yeah. I think it's all related also to the fact that we don't do a very good job of speaking about mental health issues. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and all those things that intertwine. There's a sort of holistic, you know, approach that we need to take. Yeah. Uh, from kids at a much younger age, and I haven't, because I'm so busy running my business, I had never yeah. really get time to sit back and think about it. Much. And also, I guess it's a. I was thinking like, it becomes about um, host responsibility, and so you're. You know, you're, you're not the, I can't, and I'm not trying to paint this this way, but I can't point to you as any sort of devil's advocate in the way that I can a person who manufactures cigarettes because, you know, they're just a, a pure evil. And, no I, good and, good. I, and I know that as an ex-smoker, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, But, you know, the host responsibility is passed on to whoever is selling Yesty Boys from a tap or whoever is, you know, the, the person at the bottle store shouldn't be selling a four pack or a six pack of, or a dozen of your beer to someone who's drunk, right? Like yeah. who's already drunk. So yeah, yeah. And and there's legal, there's a legal obligations and that stuff. Already, that's what I mean. And I so that's it's... that's where you can obviously sleep easy at night because it's not like you're up going, oh god, I hope no one's getting super smashed on my beer and then 
doing bad things. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other the other factor is that you know, there's um, if we were making food, someone could possibly be you know, eating it to the point of yeah you know, being overweight, yeah, causing yeah, trouble yeah, for their yeah, family, yeah, getting diabetes, you know, diabetes getting, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Or so whatever. I think if you're in food and beverage, you're always going to be faced with those kind of things. Alcohol certainly got more of a f- public facing problem in that because yeah. of the fact that people do get drunk and you know and it's the uh, it's cause the, trouble in the streets or trouble at home or well that's it too is it's that legal it's that legal drug that does as much or more damage as you know like things like marijuana which yeah. is oh know, for sure yeah. you know there's the debate obviously always around that why why can't that be legalized it doesn't do any we're near the damage and the cliche is the the sort of uh maybe older right-wing person drinking their bottle and a half of wine a night saying, you yeah. know, these damn filthy potheads, rah, rah, rah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, no. I'm, yeah I mean, I'm pro, uh, you know, legalisation of probably more drugs than most people would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that there's there's a certain element of, you know, bringing... Obviously, the six o'clock squirrel worked really, really poorly in, yes, yeah, in yeah. regards to stopping people drinking. Yeah. And I think any, you know, criminalisation of any drug, you know, works really, really poorly. Obviously, yeah. um, the more you can bring drugs out into the open, there's, there's money that the government can make for a start, yeah. which can be put more into research and, you know, put into, like, social schemes and stuff like that. But the key thing, I think, all goes back to this thing that I think of as with us and, and personally I'm not great at it myself you know like in regards to talking to your family about these sorts of problems yeah. and, you know your brother gets a bit too drunk or you do yourself or something yeah. like that and uh, um, I think you know we need to get better at that and we need to sort of talk to it you know I grew up with seeing my parents you know drunk on many occasions having parties and having a good time and yeah. um, and the alcohol story in our family is you know certainly not one that's completely positive all the time yeah um, yeah yeah but we are talking about it and it's not done behind closed doors and it's not you know we're not sneaking around on side streets to you know yeah. have to buy it down alleyways and stuff like that and I think that's a positive yeah um, but there's certainly it's an ongoing story we have to tell and we have to try and figure out why it is that there is less of a problem in many European countries than there are in you know the UK and, and mm. New Zealand there's um and, and this might be possibly a little a little bit naive but but I've always thought that it, and as I was saying, there's a cost factor attached to the the beers that you're making and and the whole craft beer movement, but but that in a way I think there's such a not just the cost, there's such a richness and a fullness in the flavour of these beers that are you know um, so different from the um, you know mass produced. Um, standard dozen that you buy that we all bought and that many people still do yeah. um, you, it's that weird we're, we're also a culture I think of like bargain hunters and so if you get the you know $15 for a dozen is so great well I'll just drink them all but $15 for two beers that are going to taste really nice I'll drink those and you could argue that the experience overall is so much more positive all round that I sort of think that, in a way, the craft beer um, movement has been quite good for scaling back people's amount yeah. of drinking. Yeah. You know? We can only ruin rich people's lives. <laughs> which is possibly not a Yeah, I was going to say, thing. it's quite a good little Trojan horse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might need, to, might need to work. That's a plan for the new year is to sort of integrate that, that more fully. Um, so... It's like the whole, you know, talk of, um, you know, 
where um, white collar crime yeah, starts yeah. and ends, which is obviously yes. a big topic in New Zealand yes. this week. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, whether or not uh, the fact that you know, I just love the irony of uh, everyone talking about someone claiming a few extra dollars on um, <laughs> DPB when they're all talking about it on platforms of companies on social media yes, not yeah, paying yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, millions and millions yeah, of dollars yeah. of tax yeah 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 and and they're, and they're all doing it while uh, ostensibly being paid to be doing anything but having that having that conversation yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um what 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 are, what are your sort of broad thoughts around um you say you come back every sort of six months but what are your sort of broad thoughts on how new zealand changing in that in that environment are you uh concerned about where New Zealand's at politically and or is you know is it is it interesting and different and shocking to you to see I mean you've come over at an interesting time it's yeah, been a, the last two weeks have been pretty <laughs> and and obviously on a, on, a, on, a, on a sort of Donald Trump level on a world scale too there's you know it doesn't matter where you are in the world if you've got access to the news you're finding out about this stuff but yeah do you have any thoughts about this isn't the New Zealand that I left um, no, I think, as I say, you know, like always look forward and not back so much. Yeah. Um, I think it, all these things just they come in swings and roundabouts, and you know, we swing, you know, a bit more social and then a bit more um, right wing at various times, and we yeah. have all through my life, and they sort of, you know, they seem to come in sort of nine or twelve year cycles or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. yeah. And yeah. then overall, you know, I think you know we're going through a period, obviously, in Europe at the moment, which is probably the scariest time yes. for yeah, know, yeah. for a lot of people of my um, age or older uh, in regards to just the you know massive push of the right wing kind of yeah. um, you know neoliberals and yeah. whatnot um, and it's also an interesting time because stuff you know the news and the word and rumours and stuff get out so much yes. faster now these days with social media than they would have in the old days yeah and I've always kind of looked at the whole political landscape of the last few years, especially with social media and just, you know, the proliferation of, um, you know, TV media and everything these days is that every election, no matter what type it is, has all come down now to a presidential campaign. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one person versus another. It's not really about yeah. the party. It's no, not it's about... personality driven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the old days of travelling around New Zealand as the Prime Minister and, you know, mm. giving speeches on um, the town hall steps yeah, and stuff yeah. like that is so different from what it is now. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, I don't know anyone who really votes for their local electorate person. They vote for a party, and most yeah. people probably vote, you know, party vote and local electorate in the same way. You know, you yeah. might get a very small percentage who vote, yeah, with um, a split sort of vote. Yeah, yeah, um, and try and think that they're voting tactically yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. Occasionally, I have I vote for like the most obscure person on the list because I'm not really interested in the electorate and I'm only interested in my party vote. Yeah, because um, I haven't done any research around, you know. What's actually happening in my yeah, community? Yeah, so yeah. I'm too busy doing other things. Yeah, too busy, uh, you know, sl- yeah. <laughs> slowly killing the rich people. Yeah. That. <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, just really interesting how slow some, you know, I think the sort of, you know, the social liberal left have been to pick up on that kind of idea as well. Mm, I think, you know, mm, mm. you know, John Key is a classic example of the sort of, you know. Um, He's a classic doofus Kiwi, you know, that got rich. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's what most people want to, you know, aspire yeah, that, to. Yeah, that is a kind well, of... Most people... Yeah, yeah, but of, it is a... lot of people do. It's kind of Kiwi dream or, or yeah. world, you know, yeah, yeah. world dream to, yeah. to just just be yourself and be be a bit of a whatever, but be stupendously wealthy. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, It's yeah. kind of ridiculous how many people still want that. Yeah, and I don't think, you know... You know, I, I don't really think. Um, I think John Key really believed in what he did, and um, so does you know Theresa May in the UK. But um, 
they're just they they're much they've got an easier sell to the general public in the fact that you know reduce taxes and kind of yeah. like let you do your own thing that's their kind of like main sell whereas yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I like I like what I'm hearing from uh, you know the the social liberal left I guess, for want of a yeah. term here in yeah. New Zealand yeah but they're very split as well which makes it quite difficult yeah um, and obviously you know there's this um, still this sort of mentality of uh, you know people hating anyone who's sort of honest about what they've done mistakes yeah. in the past and, yeah which has really come out you know I had a you know small argument with my dad on social media last <laughs> Did night you? you know over it yeah um, and just yeah you, you're right how people are posting while they're at work you know yes on someone else's um, no one clock. even thinks about that now yeah you and all the people that, you know all the tradies that you know yeah. love national and hate um, you know anything left wing who are complaining about it but they've all done thousands and thousands of cash jobs and yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's very easy to turn a blind eye when you think you've done nothing wrong in your life I've done so many things wrong you know yeah I'm yeah I'm very man, forgiving of people yeah my, my whole my whole life is is, is one wrong move really yeah. apart, apart, apart from <laughs> apart from um, marrying someone spectacular and and, and and trying to raise a son with a bit of hope yeah everything else I've done is a, a bit of a failure you know like, yeah. so, and, and certainly plenty of bad stuff in there too but yeah it is interesting that that, that kind of um that logic that people have and also the this this weird dogmatic approach to only supporting you know the left or the right is has yeah. always been quite baffling to me yeah and that if you don't you know if you say if you mark someone from a politically opposing party you know ideologically opposing to where you're at if you mark them up for one thing you're some sort of traitor or i find you know yeah our, the com- that that's all part of the conversations becoming far too simple all round. Yeah, you know, like like the conversation we just had around uh, beer and alcoholism and stuff. It's like you're not you're not you're not part of the problem for making beer, and you can in fact be part of the solution. You know. Yeah. And but but that's a broader conversation than just the simple, you know, uh, drinking too much is bad, and that's that. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. weird. All the conversations we're having, uh, I guess that's part, that's part of why I got into um, trying to have these conversations is to extend beyond. Oh, you're in town. I'll talk to you for ten minutes about the success of Yeasty Boys. Yeah, you get that all the time. You, you've you've done loads of. You know, you're not going to turn down a great opportunity to talk to the press about to coincide with launching a product or whatever. But that has got to be sometimes quite boring. Just. Yeah, trotting yeah. up the same, the same sound bites same answer all the time same answer all the time and uh, and you know and from me from my end it's the same question all the time like that's very boring to yeah. me you know I like I like doing these conversations where I have a bit of a vague idea what I want to ask of someone but I'm really quite keen for it to go wherever it goes and I mean I've done like 80 of these conversations and none of them to me sound the same at all and no. wouldn't it be awful if they did yeah yeah you know? exactly I tried to listen to a few to kind of get your angle and stuff and it's like oh there's no angle yeah I'm just going to turn up we're going to have a chat and yeah it'll go where it'll go yeah yeah, that's, yeah I mean the, I guess the vague the vague thing that I'm going for is people who are doing arts based things and interesting things and things that are interesting to me and, and why they're doing it how they've done it uh, what they get out of it what their you know what their success and failure stories are um, and and there have been a lot of conversations around mental health because I think the people, the areas that the people work in that I'm talking to, and primarily the arts, um, 
or you know people like yourself that have started a business on their own that are working in you know uh, that sort of area there are different stresses there are highs and lows that people are riding to 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 get that work out into the world yeah and so it's quite interesting so there you know there've been a lot of conversations about about mental health and about the the sort of um, preservation of self I guess and the and the um, the angle that you have to take whether it's uh, working a full-time job to support uh, an idealistic hobby or throwing caution to the wind and then how you cope with that you know yeah. all of that sort of so that uh, I thought I think if there's a theme to any of these things it's that but then again that's not just one conversation that's yeah, yeah. a very broad that's 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 sort of part of what has been interesting to me about it is that within that framework you can go anywhere yeah and the yeah. more you talk the more people you talk to the broader the picture becomes really doesn't it because you know you've got this um yeah you know vibrant richness of the different people you've talked to uh, yeah hopefully i mean that's certainly been how, how how it's felt for me so far i don't know how people feel listening but yeah. uh, I, I you know i get a bit of feedback from people that that, that enjoy the conversations for that reason they wonder what it's going to be like and they are nicely surprised week to week to see who it is that that's turned up and it's great you get that mixture of people who only want to listen to a person they've heard of and then you get people that are really excited to go oh I don't know who this person is I'll have a listen to this conversation I'll find out who they are because I like that idea that I like that idea that (coughs) really we've all got stories we've all got a story and a lot of us aren't um, a lot of people aren't that either aren't that good at telling their story or particularly aren't that rather aren't very good at recognising that they have a story and then maybe don't have the platform for a story I guess that's changed too social media wise for good and bad yeah. <laughs> people do have uh, platforms but that's sort of really what it's about yeah yeah. Uh, so what else is what else what else do we need to cover with Yeasty what, what what's what else is happening what else are you hoping to to do um, we're just like really focused on the UK mostly yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. we've got we've, yeah yeah we've done um, it's quite funny we've like quietly done really good things here in New Zealand over yeah. the last year or so as well yeah. we've got we've got a new sales guy which is a great uh, it's like the best example of employing someone I've ever come across where this guy he sold himself to us we really? didn't think yeah. we were looking for a sales manager or anything. he, he pointed sold. out why you were yeah yeah and we had a couple of chats with him and thought he seemed alright so we employed him and yeah. uh He's grown our New Zealand sales 40% in the last year, wow. quietly without anyone noticing, you know, yeah. virtually no budget other than him just knocking on doors and chatting to people. And um, wow. it's been great for me, for the other side of the world, to have someone who kind of like now people recognise him as the face of Yeasty Boys. And wow. yeah, when yeah. I come back here, he introduces me to all these new people in the industry yeah, yeah, he's... who don't even know that I existed. They kind of like, <laughs> Yeasty Boys is just some company that they think probably is run by someone, but... Uh, you know, but they don't they'll know probably just assume that it. he owns yeah. it or something yeah wow. um, and, then and he's is, from England as well which is great right. so it's you know me over there with a New Zealand accent <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're both a bit exotic and yeah, yeah. the opposite sides of the world what a great thing to have though where sometimes that sort of story ends with a person doing a really good sell job on why they should be right for the job and then that's where the pitch begins and ends you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. follow through on it but yeah. yeah well I kind of want everyone to like apply for jobs like that now you know it's sort of yeah you don't you're not you're not advertising for a job but i think you need this and this is why you need it it's just like such a great way to approach things and obviously it's you know probably harder for a finance manager to do that than a yeah person no it's exactly it's interesting because that's exactly the position i'm in at the moment i've got to work out how i 
create a role for myself you know yeah. I don't my, the, the the role that I sort of had doesn't really exist anymore and uh, and uh, you know I'm fudging away doing my things but I need to work out and whether it's in that area or something else I, I need to kind of come up with a way to to, to sell myself to the world as an yeah. employable you know worthwhile I don't know if I am <laughs> that's that's probably the problem I don't know if I am but yeah it's it's sort of something I'm going to think about after this is how do I Jan Hellregal says you you the way you get the job you want is and I'm slightly paraphrasing you here but she's told me more than once the way you get the job you want is you plan for it and you write down all the things that you want to do and you create the in your head you basically create the role that you want to do and then you go out and pitch yourself for it to yeah yeah which is what this guy did for you yeah, yeah exactly and, and what you're saying she's she's often talked about that to yeah. me is that you plan and you create and then you go out and put it to the world you put it to the you know you find out you do your market research too on whether that role can exist yeah and then you go about creating it yeah yeah well, that's what greg did for us yeah and he's like it's just totally opened my mind in that yeah. regard you know yeah it's um and it's the way he sells a beer as well he says you know you guys need our beer on your list this yeah, is, yeah this is why this is where it fits in and that kind of thing yeah. you know um yeah i like that it's that um you know that's an interesting thing to hear from jan who's you know yeah to me you know only a person who's kind of been on the tv or the radio as a yeah well no she, I mean, that, that's exactly what she's got off and done too so yeah post music career and then she's come back to music but that's what she's done is every time i think she's gone and sold herself to to a role that she's envisaged needs to happen um what um what can you tell me about uh the other great new zealand um beer brands people making beer uh beer who do you want to who do you want to talk up um, S- since you're so good at talking about and presenting beer that's not yours who do you want to give a shout out to that you think's doing i think um, good stuff yeah the interesting thing for me over the last few years is there's obviously been quite a few acquisitions you know around yeah yeah like Tintara yeah sold to db and Panhead to Lion, Emerson's before that to Lion as yes. well, and that um, that sparks up the forums, no doubt. Yeah, with yeah, the whole yeah. traitor, yeah, yeah. sell out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas for me, you know, I've known all of those people personally, you know, pretty well um, over the last, you know, fifteen years yeah. or so. Yeah, and uh, I have actually haven't seen Carl from Tuatara or Mike from Panhead since they sold, but I sent them all congratulation yeah, yeah. messages when they. Um, when they sold but Richard Emerson's the classic one for me is you know he's now just doing the job he always wanted to do his shareholders have all been paid out he's got a little bit of money himself you know I think if you added up all the hours that everyone does no one actually really becomes that rich off it because they um, you know Mm. the the hourly rate when you you earn a couple of million dollars into your bank account um, probably comes down to like ten dollars an hour or something that they probably earned through that life of the business um but Richard's just like the happiest guy I've ever seen. You know, lots of investment now in the brewery. Um, he gets to go around the world, world and well, around New Zealand and talk about beer and food and yeah, yeah, wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, I'm sure that not everything like like all of us. You know, we yeah, paint, yeah. we paint a picture that kind of looks happy and jovial out front because <laughs> yeah. that's what people want to hear. They don't yeah, want yeah. the depressing stories at a yeah, yeah. beer and food matching event or something. Yeah, um, or on Facebook or anything like that. But um, you know. Uh, he, he seems you know he seems like you know you can see the weight that's lifted off his shoulders so I think there's a lot of always a lot of good stories 
in those kind of acquisitions and everything. And then there's also the negative side of it is, you know, you go into the supermarket and it looks like there's a diverse range of products from a whole bunch of interesting breweries with stories behind them and everything. And, and to some respect there is, but, you know, still like 90% of what's on the shelf is owned by Lion or DB who are, you know, in turn owned by overseas companies. Yeah. So there's the sort of the negative side of the story there as well, which... You know, and there's a price point, you know, that they kind of push down on and have set, which, you know, is really, really hard for us to meet, impossible for us to meet, unless we want to grow to a point where we just sell and, um, you know, not be, not ever be profitable. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. you know, grow, grow, grow at, you know, zero margin or less um, to get to the point where we hopefully sell to someone. Yeah. Which is not what we want to do. So our beer is always going to be a bit of a higher price point. Um, and that's not to say that we won't sell to anyone because we're yeah. totally open to it. And, um, and also... The interesting thing now about having you know 200 shareholders is that if someone comes and knocks on the door and says we want to give you 10 million pounds for your business we have to look at that seriously because you know we're legally obliged to yes, take our so shareholders yeah, into yeah, yeah. consideration yeah even though in the end sam and i um and anna and uh, fritha you know the four the two couples and four individuals who founded the business are um still control you know the vast majority of sure. the business and can make most of the decisions yeah, yeah we are obliged to you know think about our shareholders when we make decisions yeah which is a really interesting kind of place to be yeah after yeah yeah having run it our, as our own little business for a while it does yeah. change your mindset yeah, but, yeah it must do um but um oh, i'm a massive fan of eight wired which i bought around and liberty um you know probably two of the hottest breweries in the country in different ways i think liberty is probably the hottest in regards to the you know 10 different types of IPA kind of model which is yeah. very very popular at the moment um, whereas 8 wider um, uh, you know much more sort of mixed style of beer they do sour beers they do nice hoppy beers they do lots of barrel aged kind of beers that yeah. take 3 or 4 years to make um, sort of slow beer process um, but those those two um, Siren from 8 wide and um, Joe from Liberty and Mike from Panhead you know three of the sort of hottest breweries in the country they um it's really nice to see them do their thing because we were all home brewers. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, that, that 15 years ago, I owned Liberty Brewing as a home brew supply business, and those guys were all customers and they were um, good friends. And we did a lot of swapping of beer to kind of yeah. like give each other feedback. And there was a sort of bunch of people who, um, you know, quite a few others as well, who've gone on to become sort of professional in one respect or another, whether they're brewing for someone else or started their own business. Well, that it's kind of like the, um, you know, it's like seeing the. Boys who go through like a yeah. football academy to suddenly kind of become totally. European champions. Yeah, it's so cool. And that um, that padhead supercharger in particular has got to be one of my favourite beers. Like that oh, yeah. just it's just I you know I was going to say if I could drink that every time. That's not quite true because because variety is good. But yeah. that's certainly a, a really good. You know, I ne- I never I think I said to someone we were talking about it, it's like. I never don't feel like <laughs> what a, uh, yeah, yeah. exactly you know if I'm if I'm having a beer that's always a good option whereas sometimes other beers you have to have your mouth ready for them you know I yeah, mean, yeah. Um, pot kettle black is one of my all-time favorite beers but I don't feel like that every time I have a yeah. beer and, and you probably shouldn't feel like that beer every time you have a beer right like that's yeah well I do yeah, yeah well you might yeah. <laughs> but you know I just mean that's quite a different taste sensation that yeah. you know you're not always going to be ready for but that is absolutely one of my favorite beers um uh what's the garage project one um um Arendois. like i just All right, for yeah. a long time i couldn't buy anything else from garage project because i was really just hooked on that. Like that just always felt like that but 
Um, that's also a beer that overall is probably not going to be something that every single time you want a beer you're going to have. But every time I visited there for the first while, that it was hard to get off that because yep. it, it worked every time I had it. It tasted just right for when I had it. Yeah, totally understand that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I go through phases as well where I kind of just I feel like a certain type of beer or anything and I'm more, more probably more malt driven in my tastes so right. I'm always looking for dark beers or amber beers and things like that I think the um, thing from trying all these craft beers and from getting into that is that it's really opened me up to is the darker beers that, that just wouldn't have been something that I would have tried that often back in the days of filling a flagon or yeah buying a dozen or whatever I just it would be very unlikely you know I'd have a Guinness every now and then yeah. but I wasn't ever really the biggest fan of Guinness dark and beer has the Guinness problem you know like everyone yeah. thinks dark that's, beer I was just going to say yeah. that's that's yeah. it like that people that that's it that's the touchstone yeah and yeah so I think probably well it was Pot Kettle Black Pot Kettle Black and uh, Renoir that who that is I do know who that is um, it's probably Pot Kettle Black and Renoir that Converted, converted me, yeah, yeah. And then there's been some other some other good things since. And I also thought, like, I don't know what you think of Parrot Dog, but they do some great beers. Yeah, really well, I'm that. a shareholder of oh, Parrot well, Dog, actually. Yeah, well, so. you probably think when they they, you probably think they're all right then. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. No, I just bought like you know the smallest amount you could when they did <laughs> yeah. the crowdfunding, just as a, yeah. sort of similar to what people are doing. A gesture, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. You know, like I'm I'm proud of a support gesture. Have yeah, been involved in their story yeah. and everything. You know, yeah. like, they they kind of still kind of say that they were. They bought like some homebrew into a pub one time and gave it to me, and I was like, "This is really good." And that was kind of one of the right, things that launched yeah, yeah, them on yeah. that journey. Actually, yeah, I did brew. know that story. Yeah, yeah, because that bitter bitch, I think, is just great. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're just lovely guys as well. Yeah, you know, right. Three, you know, three, three mats. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They've got like a, they've got a nice little story as well. They probably forget, you know, what their story is like because you so mm, missed in it mm, as well. Mm. Um, but they, you know, they, they took a risk as you know three young lads in their mid-twenties or something it's like pretty phenomenal I often looked at them and thought I wish I wish I was where they were at that time you know yeah I think they're at the point where they're young enough to possibly fail and still get it right the next time round whereas I'm too old for that you know, yeah you've got to get it right this time yeah yeah, um, yeah but I haven't had a chance yet to go out and see their new brewery they've built out in um, Isle Bay but I'm really keen yeah, yeah. to get out there um, they're just yeah they're, they're nice guys and I think that's one of the great things about the industry uh, you know, if my parents had known years ago that I was going to end up in the beer industry, they never would have thought that I'd be with such a, you know, yeah. lovely, diverse sort of bunch yeah, of characters. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, parrot dog guys, they're all young, pretty well educated. Young By diverse, guys you mean white men with beards. Yeah, 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 yeah. very diverse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like. Uh, well, they listen to Wilco and Radiohead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very diverse. Yeah. yeah. No, but you've got like Mike <laughs> from Panheads of Bogan yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. I know. Um, and then Soren from Eight Wides, uh, you know he's um, Dutch. Uh, sorry, um, Danish. Yeah. Um, and the ex double twice, two times running New Zealand poker champion as well. You know, wow. so, yeah. So there's all these little <laughs> yeah, stories. Yeah, little, you know, yeah. people are musicians Colourful or something. You know, artists and, and backstories. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is. I mean, that's one thing that uh, beer needs to break out of is being a like a white middle class kind of yeah, yeah. drink of choice and um, in the industry. Um, so it's always nice to see the little stories that are a bit more diverse like there was a woman who came down to New Zealand a few years ago she was English and she just travelled around New Zealand taking photographs of all the female brewers mm. around the country and no one knew how many there were but yeah. then, you know, there were so many of them and it's the same in the UK there's heaps and heaps but it is dominated you know, probably yes. like music in regards to um, yeah, yeah. You know, the fact that um, or any industry is dominated by 
quite middle class men in many respects. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're a bit of a um, problem in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I should also mention that the loudmouth is a great beer. And oh, Big Mouth? Yeah, Big Mouth. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I say loudmouth because I think of myself. But the, the Big Mouth is a great beer and it's. You guys sent me some of that last time round and it just seemed very fitting as the 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 beer of this podcast yeah yeah <laughs> to yeah. have the the big mouth of the cans yeah yeah really good yeah that's, i think that's, that's going to be a big one for us we just we've only made it in the uk we started making it in australia recently and we're about yeah. to make it in new zealand and that will be in cans in new zealand as well yeah that's one of those beers that is a just a great always feel like this well it's a session beer isn't yeah. it like in that sense it's yeah. a, a great all-round almost any time of day <laughs> yeah and again sort of perfectly named it was um, yeah yeah well, obviously we the first time big mouth kind of came across the yeasty boys um uh sort of company the first time we bought it in was we did the zine a few years ago which yes. you, you put a I little poem in for yeah, you yeah, yeah, and, yeah. um which fratha my wife put together that's right and she um she named that Big Mouth then, and then when uh, when we decided to sort of bring in this beer into the portfolio, we kind of think thinking of the idea, and she said Big Mouth, like it's the yeah. perfect name for a session IPA, and yeah. it's the link back to the Smiths Big Mouth yeah. Strikes again, yeah, and then yeah. it sort of also has that nice little link into the fact that we used it for a zine. Well, you get to as well. you get to do that too. You get that's your marketing thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You get to limited edition Big Mouth, and then you get to re-announce it as Big Mouth Strikes again when you bring it back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, but there you go. That's if, if that's, we, a, that's a that's such a crap idea that you can have that one for free. <laughs> if we finally um, get to the point where we can um, yeah. have time to write a press release again, maybe yeah, yeah. I can yeah, do that. Yeah, you, no, you can totally have that. Yeah. Um, it's been great uh, chatting to you actually because we've 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 met a few times and we've talked a bit online and we've we've talked about having a podcast chat really I think since the time you started um, sponsoring the podcast and, and was going to look at doing it over Skype or something like that but I I always like to try and do these face to face where possible uh, either people coming around to the house or me going to them I think it works better so um, I don't want to hold hold you up for too much longer because you've got an impossible schedule over what is it eight days you just yep. and obviously the big thing is Biavana yeah it's going to be fun yeah my first time there for three years so yeah I was going to say you must have missed a like couple a of reunion. them yeah yeah, yeah you, that'll be that'll be a nice end to the end to the week or so away yeah um, thanks very much is there anything else you want to shout out to before we sign off no I should probably just say Sweetman was right <laughs>